You know, it is being suggested in many quarters that this is India's greatest overseas test win ever. I'm Karthik Ayer. This is ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike, and I don't have the answer to that, but I've got two guests with me who just might. Shashank Kishore, welcome back. Hey, Karthik. Uh, good to be back. Along with Shashank, we also have all the way from Australia, or at least he's repping Australia here, Andrew McGlashan. Hey, Nasha, welcome to Stump Mike. Hey, guys. Yes, I guess I tick a few boxes these days, don't I, in terms of uh, who I'm representing on these. But yes, it's, it's nice to be with you. Awesome. So, Andrew, just before we came on air, you were mentioning that there's not much to discuss from today, is that this was a formality, so to speak, today's play. It, it turned out that way, yes. Obviously, there was various ways the game's the game could have gone today where it wouldn't have been a formality. I mean, I guess at, at 19 for two, um, there was the signs that if Australia had been able to set something around about even 125, certainly to 150, then it could have been a very different run chase um, during, during that fourth innings. I mean, um, Australia would have fancied, I think, certainly making uh, putting India under a lot of pressure, chasing about 150. But once um, once the new ball was taken, um, and Bumrah made the first breakthrough of the day. Um, it was always unlikely Australia were going to get far enough ahead, partly because they couldn't really score at any rate. So they were just eat- they were just eating up overs after overs, and the scoreboard wasn't going well. I mean, they batted more than 100 overs for for 200, which for anyone who's watched Australian cricket over the years isn't it? certainly at home. Maybe not overseas on the subcontinent, perhaps, but certainly at home in Australia, that's almost unprecedented. I think it was their slowest scoring home test inning since. 1986. So that shows how much of a hold India had. And that just meant that even when wickets weren't falling quickly, um, the scoreboard just hadn't gone anywhere. So yeah, I mean, chasing 70, I guess we all got a bit excited when Pajara nicked off to Gully. <laughs> uh, but in, in, such, in such a small chase, uh, a few boundaries and Gill played another, uh, another really nice little innings. A few boundaries takes the pressure off and uh, yeah, the game was done and dusted. Yeah, two points about that scoring rate. So it was a bit of a shock yeah, when we're watching three Boxing Day Test matches. So you have this one where Australia are going at a snail's pace. And then immediately after this, you switch over to South Africa versus Sri Lanka, where both those teams are scoring 350 runs in a day. I mean, it's just it's just such a difference between the two. But about intent, Nasha, and I want to continue with this on this. Wasn't Ricky Ponting the one making the most point about, about this, that Australia lost this game simply because their batsmen weren't showing intent? Now, we here in India, we don't get a lot of Ponting on commentary, but I'm guessing that's exactly what he was saying. Uh, yeah, that was certainly what he was talking about, sort of Australia's uh, batsmen having, having a presence um, at the crease. But I do think we need to turn it around on how good the India bowling was. I mean, you'll always get an element of um, the Australian view being that it, it kind of must be an issue with the Australian batting. And, and and clearly that was, I mean, this Australian batting lineup is is not a great batting lineup. It has, it has one great player and one very, very good player in it, Steve Smith and, and Marnus Labuschagne, and obviously David Warner to potentially come back in, in, in the next test match. But I think we have to say how well this Indian side of bold it has reminded me a little bit um and partly we on the site we've done a couple of pieces over the last few weeks about 10 years since England's Ashes win um down under in 10-11 it has reminded me a lot about a how well planned the bowling attack has been matchups sort of how well disciplined they've been bowling to their plans and also how they've managed to dry up Australia's scoring rate going back to my original point and we all know watching Australian batsmen I mean batsmen all around the world really certainly these days enjoy scoring freely um, and I know it was a decade ago but it's what England did very well on that um, 
Ashes Tour, particularly when they brought in Tim Bresnan. Australia couldn't score much more than two and a half and over. And in this series, it, it's, it's been even slow. And, and as I said before, that's allowed India to, to build the pressure. And then when they have struck, um, the scoreboard hasn't gone anywhere. So, I, I, I mean, clearly, and we can go on and talk about them a bit if we need to, there are clearly issues with Australia's batting. But I do think this Indian bowling attack, as they were two years ago um, in the series in Australia, are so well planned. And I've put those plans into operation almost perfectly. So Shashank, we were discussing yesterday and you said that I was being overly optimistic because Australia started the day with a lead of two runs. And you were probably right because they finished it with a lead of 69, leaving India just 70 to win. Um, uh, Nasha, to be honest, when I was talking to Shashank on this podcast yesterday, I was like, maybe, maybe if, if Green and Cummins can come together. They could have reached that 150 mark, as you suggested. That could maybe be tough for India to chase down. But Shanky, were you at any point worried with a chase of just 70, especially with what happened in Adelaide? No, not really. I mean, Adelaide was just an aberration and this was India's opportunity to prove that. And um, even at 19 for two, you kind of knew that if uh, one of them just got away a couple of boundaries, then... You know, the, the belt will kind of loosen up a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. Shubman Gill came out playing attacking uh, cricket, uh, looked to put away the bad balls. There were a couple of half volleys, a couple of short deliveries that he latched on to. So uh, that kind of got the scoreboard moving. And uh, as Gill kept going, Rahane also kind of got into a stride and played a superb pull shot of the very first ball he faced, I think. So... Uh, that kind of took away the pressure uh, from the run chase. I mean, there was no real pressure to start with. But yeah, at 19 for two, uh, a little bit of murmur here and there about a collapse, but they put it out very, very efficiently. Okay, so let's just answer this question, if we can, guys. And I asked it at the start of this podcast. Shanky, we'll start with you. Is is this India's greatest overseas test win ever? Or at least one of maybe the top three or five? I think it should be in the top five for sure. I mean, uh, everyone was talking about how uh, MCG last time around was a special win. I'm sure it's a very, very special win. But there are a couple of other wins that will probably also find mention. Headingly 2002 on a green top, India opting to bat first. That was a, a significant culture shift because you never uh, heard of Indian teams taking such a bold call especially overseas. Uh, normally, on a green top, they'd probably take the safer option and choose to field. On that occasion, they padded first and I think they went at about 2-0 and over for the first day or so. Uh, Sanjay Bangar and Rahul Dravid uh, with that monumental partnership and then India winning in Headingly. That was a very special win. Adelaide 2003 was a special win. So, uh, there are quite a few wins that uh, India rate very, very highly. But yeah, in the last 20 years, for sure, this should uh, be in the top three purely because of the uh, you know, the circumstances in which uh, they came back, uh, written off after Adelaide, uh, experts called for 4-0 um, after the match. Uh, the captains come back home for personal reasons, uh, playing one bowler down in the middle of a game. Your two pace spearheads not around, Mohamed Shami, Ishan Sharma. So, it needed a lot of resolve and character. You handed out two debuts uh, and uh, whatever could uh, come right came right for India. I mean the way everyone rallied together. Yes, there were a couple of uh, contributions uh, that they could have done with uh, at the top of the order, with Mayank Agarwal just missing out a little bit. But everyone else came uh, came together to you know script uh, a great victory for India. So I'm sure it will definitely be there in the top five. 
Nasher, heading into this test at the MCG, the problems were all with India, right? At least in terms of the captain leaving, getting bowled out for 36. And I, I don't think we can overstate and how impressive this victory was, particularly when in your last batting performance, you're all out for your lowest test score ever. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a it's a stunning performance um, by India, whether we want to put it into context of cricket history or, or, or anything like that. It, it, it is really a, a magnificent effort to come back from from, from that trouncing um, in Adelaide um, last week. And I, th- I thought it was very impressive how um, they've just stuck to their beliefs um, by the look of it. I mean, I'm not in, inside the camp and, and we don't know that much about what goes on inside um, the team, but they seem to have stuck to their beliefs. I mean, Rahane has been mightily impressive coming in and filling um, Virat's shoes. So, um, and, and when you factor in playing away from home, we always discuss, don't we, about how hard it is to win away from home these days. Um, they've done so much over the last week or 10 days to turn around their fortunes. And it, it, it was a fantastic uh, performance, really. I know that Ravi Shastri gave a very short answer to a question in the gap between tests when he said, what did he say to the team? After Adelaide, and he said nothing. Now, obviously, that may not be the, <laughs> that, that that may not be the exact truth, uh, but but kind of I, I do get a sense that there's a, a calmness around this this Indian side. Obviously, they have had moments of success away from home, so they do know. And a couple of them have been after defeats. They bounced back. Obviously, there was a game at Lords. Does that calmness come because of the captain, though? Oh, I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't think we should say that India wouldn't have won this Test match if Virat Kohli mm-hmm. had been playing. I mean, that's a great headline for the podcast. Would would India have won with Virat Kohli? Um, but but I think I think I think we just look at it as a way of huge credit to what Ajinka has brought. And I do think I do think there's an element of when when a team is in shall we say crisis as it was for India ten days ago that a calmness is perhaps the way to get through it. We don't know how Virat would have handled it, um, and he may have gone out and inspired with a. A brilliant innings like Rahane did. He may have he may have shouted his way to to he may have he he would have done it Virat's way and it may well have been successful. But what Ajinka Rahane showed in these last three days is that there's 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 different ways to go about it and and kind of um, and also as well India made three other changes, didn't they? Not just Virat dropping out of the team. There's three other changes as well. Uh, two debutants which Shashank touched on um, before, and I just sense an overall calmness about it and I mean I think there is a valid debate to have about styles of captaincy maybe not one for this podcast but um but clearly there are different ways of going about it this isn't to say that Virat's way doesn't work he he has he has achieved a huge amount with this India team um but clearly um the Rahane model of captaincy um has helped put the put the series back on track for India and he deserves huge credit for that I mean I guess we'll know in three two or three weeks time what this leads to, will it will it be a one-off great victory, or will it lead to something that will go down as one of perhaps India's greatest triumph ever? If they perhaps, I mean, I, 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 maybe we can't make that call about what this series would be, but but certainly, um, I do think the way he's carried carried this. Obviously, it helped that he scored this. He then scored runs with the bat, and any captain that can do that, and uh, as well. But again, even the way he did that was was more like you looked up and he had 30, you looked up and he had 50. Whereas with Virat, A, you can never really take your eyes off Virat when he's batting because he's just Virat Kohli and he's so watchable. But large parts of that Rahani innings, uh, not to take anything away from the innings, but you could turn away, turn back, and 
you probably wouldn't have missed a huge amount, if you know what I mean, because he was just doing it in his own little bubble. Um, but that in its own way was a magnificent inning. So all, all told, I mean, one of the finest, I think, games for a captain, given everything that you could possibly wish to uh, to, to to witness, really. And, and again, yeah, so like we said throughout this chat, just to get the whole show back on the road um, after that really was incredible. I'd like to uh, highlight a couple of uh, significant things. Uh, we're halfway into the series. Uh, the importance of uh, the two warm-up games, uh, which we had in the build-up to this test series, uh, both the games had first-class status, so it wasn't like uh, 14 playing 14. So India had to pick a squad. India had to pick 11 for both the games. And if you look at it, both the games served as great preparation. Shubman Gill didn't play the first uh, test match, but he was match-ready because he had those two warm-up games uh, to uh, put, put in performances of note. Uh, similarly, uh, with the bowling, you had Mohamed Siraj and Navdeep Saini also getting some game time in those two warm-up games. Now, if uh, if we didn't have those two warm-up games to go by, uh, in all probability, India would have possibly chosen uh, Saini just because of the bounce or just because of the extra pace that he brings uh, over Siraj, possibly. Uh, so so that those two warm-up games have uh, kind of gave the team management a lot of markers as to who are the guys who are also match ready and who can be called upon if there are uh, eventualities or if there are some injuries in the lineup. And that's exactly what happened. Prithvi Shaw had a bad game. You got in Shubman Gill knowing that he's gotten runs in the warm-up game. Similarly, Umesh Yadav fell off and uh, got injured in the middle of the game. You knew that Siraj had kind of put in the performances in the warm-up game. So those two warm-up games have kind of given India a template now. Uh, when you're preparing for an overseas tour, uh, it's very, very important to have those games in place. And uh, it's good to see that uh, the players who did well there are finally uh, getting an opportunity when called upon in a crisis and doing really well. Uh, it ha hasn't been the same way in the past. I can remember uh, on the tour of England in 2014, India won the second Test match at Lords to take uh, take a one in lead. But fell apart, they lost the next three games. Uh, Gautam Gambhir came into the middle of the series uh, as... Uh, an opener, having not played a single game on tour until then because they didn't have any time to uh, play a warm-up game. And I think he was sorted out by James Anderson for a duck or maybe two single-digit scores. So the value of a warm-up game is so, so important and so imperative in today's busy um, cricketing calendar. And uh, I think this victory has just uh, showed how important it is. Both of y'all mentioned the two debutants. One is Shubman Gill and the other Mohamed Siraj. And it was it was rather poetic when today, especially at the end of the day, Siraj was there towards the close. I think he picked up the wicket of Nathan Lyon to put Australia 9 down. And Shubman, of course, Shanky was there at the end when the winning runs were hit by India. How impressed were you with both of them? And we're obviously going to see them both in the next two test matches barring injury. Absolutely. I think Shubman Gill has been very, very impressive right from the time he became a breakout star at the Under-19 World Cup a couple of years ago. Uh, you kind of saw him there and you knew there was something about his game. There was an X factor about him that uh, that could potentially turn into something big if he kind of uh, stuck at it. And that's exactly what he's done. He's a very, very simple guy, a very unassuming, shy character off the field, uh, very, very hardworking, uh, loves to spend time at the nets. Uh, loves to just keep batting on and on and on, pretty much like uh, what any other youngster in India likes to do these days. Uh, so, yes, he spent a lot of time with Rahul Dravid, harnessing his game or at the India A structure, 
uh, spends a lot of time uh, at the KKR Academy with Abhishek Nair during the off-season, has a terrific first-class record of uh, an averaging over 60. I think he also got runs on the A-Tour of New Zealand last year. So he has come through a system that has been uh, designed to help and fast-track uh, under-19 players. And uh, that's exactly what India require at this stage. Uh, and this is exactly what Prithvi Shah somehow hasn't managed to uh, to do in the last uh, year or so. And partly a reason for that is because he's been injured for a while. He spent uh, time with bans and um, doping offences. So there has been a little bit. He's fallen off the radar a little bit. Uh, so if he wants to look at, uh, in, uh, if he wants to look for inspiration, uh, he needs to look no further than uh, Shubman Gill, his uh, India under-19 teammate. And uh, coming to Mohamed Siraj, again, uh, come through the A structure, um, although he hasn't, um, you know, hadn't played uh, test cricket until now. Uh, there's enough red ball cricket under his belt, um, both uh, at the Ranji Trophy level and at India A for him to kind of have earned the stripes here. So it's not like he's come in on the back of an IPL season or a white ball season. So he's put in the hard yards and um, the results are there for everyone to see. I think saying uh, first class average for Shubman is over 60 is understating it a bit. It's almost touching 70, Shanky. Nasha, I want to ask you about Shubman Gill. Because in Australia, was there a sense that this is the next big thing in Indian Test cricket? Because here, this boy has been hyped up a lot. I mean, two years ago, he won the emerging player in the IPL. He's done extremely well for the India A-sides. So the expectations were already high heading into the series. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's a player that um, a lot of people were looking forward to seeing. I think there was a little bit of surprise that he didn't actually make it um into the 11 for the first test um he 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 played he played nicely in the warm up games um obviously obviously they 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 kept him back and he was one of the four changes um for this game but i think when you look at a young player um it's kind of it's the time they have um to play their shots again this is a very fine australian bowling attack that he has been facing we can obviously there's obviously issues with the australian batting lineup but there aren't really Many issues with the bowling lineup, um, especially when you look at who's on the on the bench as well for for them. Um, and and ju- just imagine how he was feeling when um, Mitchell Stark was thundering down that first over in the first innings, late late on the first day. I mean, one of the finest first overs you 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 you, you can probably witness. And he stood there at the non-striker's end uh, while Mayank Agarwal has worked over for a duck, um, and then he comes up against Pat Cummins, the best fast or the number one rated fastball in the world at the other end it's it's a heck of a way um to make your debut he was dropped early in that first innings obviously on that first evening at slip but he, even after that he played a couple of beautiful boundaries on that first evening i mean he, he just looks a very he looks a very confident young young bats and he has he has time seemingly has time to play his shots and, and then kind of on australian pitches you can generally trust the um pace and bounce there was obviously a bit of life in this melbourne pitch but they but the bounce was true and you could see how much he was enjoying being able to play through the line. I, I think there was a shot late in the run chase where he sort of forced it off the back foot uh, through point. Um, and that's a shot that sometimes um, young players coming into Australia from overseas, um, and this isn't just a subcontinent anywhere, England batsmen have this problem as well, is the extra extra bounce, playing those shots off the back foot, you can be caught behind a lot, but he just seemed to be getting into very good positions. Uh, positions. I mean, Ricky Ponding was doing a bit of an analysis saying he, 
he needs to, he needs to tighten up a little bit about getting his foot out to the pitch of the ball, but every kind of all encompassing and, and putting everything together. It was a very fine debut um, and uh, sort of puts him in good stead for these next uh, two test matches. So yeah, certainly he ticked a lot of boxes um, and certainly lived up to the uh, to the hype that he came in with. Yeah, so on yesterday's podcast, Nasher Shanky was mentioning that uh, we were discussing about India's 11 and, and I think uh, he was like, if India do go on to win this game, do not change your 11 because there's a lot of talk about Rohit Sharma possibly being fit and coming into the side. What are your thoughts? Should India even think about changing the 11 or because it's a winning combination, go ahead with the same? I was listening to Sunil Gavaskar on our host broadcaster's feed here in India and he was suggesting that Rohit maybe comes in and opens with Mayank. Shubman drop down, down, drops down to number five and that means there's no place in the side for Hanuma Vihari. Well, I mean, I think I think we should go back to the important point that Shanky made a, a few minutes ago about warm-up games. We're talking, if, if Rohit comes in, he's coming in off two weeks hotel quarantine and no, no cricket since since the IPL, which is what now two two months ago, something something like that. So um, you really got to ask: is go, is bringing a player in in that position definitely going to make you a better team? Clearly, Mayank Agarwal has struggled, but as I mentioned previously, he's facing a very fine bowling attack, and 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 does does the fact that he has at least been playing cricket and and is in the team, and is as you mentioned, is in a team that's just secured a fantastic victory. Are you are you therefore changing for the sake of changing? If you genuinely believe that Rohit is going to make you a better team and he's in a better place as a batsman than Agarwal is, and in a sense for Harvey because um, he would drop out if Gill m- moved down the order, then then by all means make that decision. But I don't think it should automatically be just because it's Rohit Sharma he should come in um, and and open the batting. I think that I think that's probably the wrong way. To look at it, look, they have seven or eight days between that, obviously an extra day as well, because this game finished in four days. So they have, I think, what was it, nine days between test matches to decide. Clearly, there, there'll be a, there is a reason to bring in Rohit if they generally want to go that way. But I would, I would caution against it. I think, especially on an overseas tour, when you bounce back from such a performance as India did in Adelaide, there can be a cohesiveness that that, that performance, that win brings. And I think that can carry a team uh, into the next game. And I think I think you don't necessarily want to disrupt that. Obviously, there are injuries, and obviously, it looks like Umesh Yadav might be struggling to make the next test, so you have to make a change there. But I'd be wary of making change for the sake of making change. India got it spot on for this test match with the changes they made. It might be pushing their luck, I think, just to bring Rohit as good a player as he is straight back in. Nasha, let's circle back to Australia then. And is it fair to say that in the batting order from numbers 1 to 6, apart from 3 and 4, which is Smith and Labuschain, there is a question mark over the rest. Yes, I, I, I think that's fair. It's certainly a question mark over their current outputs. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a mass change of Australian batting lineup for the next test, partly because of the bubble. It kind of restricts who you can bring in and out of the team. Um, clearly, if David Warner is fit, he will come back in, and that changes the dynamic of the Australian batting a lot. I mean, Dan Bretick wrote a piece last night about how um, Australia are missing Warner, not just for the volume of runs he scores, but how he scores them, and particularly at home. Um, and we, 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 we've talked about Australia's batting tempo at the beginning of this podcast, and this isn't to say Warner's going to come back in and score 100 off 80 balls before lunch on the first day of the next Test match, or though he has done that before. Um, but it's just... Opposition bowlers know what he's capable of in terms of putting pressure back on. I think what India have felt 
certainly in this second test, is they've been able to bowl at Australia because they haven't been putting a lot of owners back on their bowls. And that's credit to the Indian bowlers that we've talked about before. Um, but at some point, the batting side has to try and change things. Um, and that's what Warner does. So if he's fit, he comes back in. And then the question is, who drops out? Probably Joe Burns. He got that first test in Adelaide, got that half century in the second innings, uh, which, I mean, there's a bit of, of a debate about how valuable those runs are. I think there's a bit of Joe Root maths going on here. We all know what that means about if you take away his, if he, was, if he wasn't dropped in that double hundred at Lords, he'd have averaged 15 in the Ashley series. Well, a, bats, a, a batsman can only score the runs he scores and kind of, and people say they're junk runs because they were scored in a small chase. I, I don't necessarily buy into all that, but the point is he has now failed twice again and he's looking as though he hasn't really found a way out of that form slump that he's, he's had all summer. So, and Matthew Wade, conversely, has played well. It would be very harsh for Matthew Wade to having to pretty much for Wade to have said, I'll open the batting to then somehow not be yeah, in the and, team. And that too as a makeshift opener, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so purely on that, you'd say Warner comes in, potentially opens with Wade. The other curveball that could potentially come in, there's just a suggestion floating around now that Will Pekofsky will be available for selection again and after overcoming his concussion, which he got in the warm-up games. So it's not beyond the realms that we do actually now, actually in the third test of this series, see the David Warner-Will Pekofsky opening partnership um, that we thought we'd see at the beginning of the series. That then does mean two changes. So then the man under pressure is probably Travis Head because Cameron Green looked pretty good in this second innings uh, today. So you're then you, so you're then saying, does Wade go down to five, Green stays at six and Travis Head misses out? What that also does, that retains the right left-hand opening partnership if you play Pekoski and Warner together. So that, I think, is probably the debate that's going to rumble on over the next uh, next week uh, down here. I would, my gut feeling is that we might, we probably won't see Pekoski. That's just because you know of his whole story. I think they're going to take a very, I think they're going to take a very cautious approach with him in terms of his concussion. I'm talking about here, he may have been Look, if he's past medically fit, which he clearly has to be first before you, he can come back in, then he'll be an option. But um, if I was a betting man right now, I'd perhaps say Warner and Wade. Uh, you, you might see um, at, at the top of the order. But yeah, clearly some issues there. And then even the guys who are not have, don't have any pressure on their place, um, but they're clearly under pressure to score runs now, Marnus Lavashane and Steve Smith, they need, to, they need to lift in the final two test matches. I mean... Marnus has ground out runs in these first two tests, but he's looked pretty uncomfortable, really, at the crease. And he almost seems more fidgety now than he was even last summer. That may that may just because we've not he's not played Test cricket since since January. But even watching the Sheffield Shield cricket earlier in the season here, where he was making runs, he didn't seem quite so extreme as he was in these two Test matches. And, and that doesn't matter in a sense. He can be as he can be as twitchy as he wants at the crease, but he doesn't seem quite as settled. And again, credit to the Indian bowlers. They've had some good plans to him. And then there's Stephen Smith, of course, who um, is having this um, surprisingly lean little run um, at the moment. Ashwin getting in first and then Jasper Bummer in the second inning. So that's a terrific, fascinating subplot going into the third test match because they are they have been the fulcrum of Australia's batting right back to the 2019 Ashes. I mean, Obviously, again, I'm now I'm now quoting the whole root mass scenario to you guys here. But you take out Smith and Labuschagne's runs in any of the series Australia have played since, um, even even last summer when they won all five tests against Pakistan and New Zealand, 
those matches are probably looking very different without now clearly they scored so many runs that to say take those runs out anything would look different but it does show how much they've been carrying with Warner um obviously and he had a fantastic home summer um down here as well actually obviously scored that triple century um but whereas in other eras you would have had six or seven Australian batsmen who were averaging 45 50 in test cricket that hasn't been the way for quite a while now um, and there isn't the depth in Australian batting that there used to be. Um, so you do need your gun players. Um, and it's those three that we're talking about of this generation to really come to the fore. And, and, and in a sense, it'll, in a sense, it's probably more fascinating if they don't, because it really makes it for a really tight knit series. Because I guess the fear was when Virat Kohli left this Indian team, if, if Smith and Labuschagne had been scoring runs, would that tilt the balance too far in Australia's favour? Well. What we've seen over the, what we've seen over the first two tests is that you keep Smith and Labuschagne quiet, and it really bounces up the ledger really nicely. So in terms of a contest, um, if India can keep those two quiet for another test match or two, um, it'll make for some fantastic potentially low-scoring test matches. I think we all agree that lower-scoring test matches are the best sort of test matches. Um, and I think if they can keep those two quiet for another two weeks, um, it'll be fantastic viewing. And obviously, you expect Smith will score runs. At some point in the series, um, he's too good not to. But it's going to be fascinating to see how he works out how he wants to play, particularly Ashwin and Bumrah. Those are the two um, gun bowlers in the Indian lineup. to really how he combats those over the next uh, two test matches. Shanky, I'll leave the final word on India with you. Of course, Nasher also mentioned whether or not Rohit should come into the side. You've had your say yesterday. But the other question is that Umesh, we do not know the status of his of his injury. So does that mean Navdeep Saini comes in or would you go and bring in someone like Anatrajan? Do you foresee any more changes in the India eleven? It'll be a fabulous story for cricket, uh, an Indian cricket, if Natrajan comes in and makes his debut uh, in the next Test match uh, from someone who wasn't even part of the squad uh, to, you know, play all three formats on tour would have been something else. It's a fabulous story. And uh, going by what we've seen and uh, what we've heard, Natarajan's bowling really well in the nets. Uh, you know, he's consistently been um, uh, beating uh, top batsmen like Rahane, Pujara. Uh, he's also reversing the ball or getting to reverse. So, uh, the perception about Natarajan being a limited overs bowler slowly uh, starting to change uh, in that he's getting to swing the ball He's getting into reverse. So, uh, he's added a few yards of pace. So, clearly, there's been a lot of improvement that the team management has seen in him since probably they first even heard of this guy uh, uh, in September in the IPL. So, uh, if he does play, it won't be a really bad call because uh, you want to pick your fast bowlers on form. And I think Saini has tailed off a little bit from whatever little I've seen on in the warm-up games and also uh, whatever I saw towards the end of the IPL. Although, I... I'm, I am aware that uh, you can't uh, you know, judge a player for his red ball cricket on the basis of uh, white ball form. But I think Seni has just somehow uh, looked a little off. So uh, I won't be surprised if Natarajan gets that opportunity to uh, if Umesh Yadav is uh, ruled out. Um, as for Rohit, yes, I mean, uh, I wouldn't, as Nasha said, be tempted to change a winning combination. Uh, Mayank Agarwal has done really well in, the first, in, the, in his first two years as a test cricketer. Uh, he still averages about 48 in about 11 test matches, despite all the failures that he's had in the last 
three or four test matches that he's played. Yeah, he, he was averaging 50 when he started batting today. I mean, that's how yeah, good so he it, has it, been. It's now down to 47.5. Those are still decent numbers. And he's done really well for you over the last couple of years after coming in midway, uh, making his debut uh, during the Boxing Day test in uh, 2018. So, uh, you'd think that uh, he deserves uh, another opportunity to get things right. Um, it's good in a way that Rohit is in Australia. It, it For sure, it gives the team management an option. And it's also good that he gets to practice on some very good wickets against some good bowlers because India need to look at the larger picture. Uh, soon after they go back uh, from in uh, to uh, back home, they have a five uh, test series against England in February, which is almost uh, within uh, uh, two and a half weeks of landing. So, so, uh, so it, it it'll be good in either ways uh, to have Rohit Sharma match ready and having spent a lot of time in the net. So whether he plays or no. The very fact that he'll train with the team, he'll be with the team, uh, that itself is a positive sign. So, yes, Rohit gives options, but you really don't want to make too many changes for the sake of it uh, going into the next Test match, especially because of the way India have come back to win this match. Shanky and Nasher, the series is fascinatingly poised at uh, 1-1. We're going to go into two more Test matches. Of course, we have a week's break before that, so a lot can change. We'll know more about where the Test is held. Listener, probably by the time you listen to this podcast as well, you'll know where the third Test is going to be held and if there are any changes to the itinerary. But they're all eagerly awaiting the next two Tests. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Stump Mike, where India have drawn level in the Border Gavaskar Trophy.